loves Pastor Josh. Doing such a great job leading your youth ministry. You guys should be proud. And uh, I'd like to thank you guys for having me here this morning. Uh, my name's Layla. I'm from um, LifePoint Church in Adelaide. I'm the youth and young adults pastor. Uh, from there, you might know my senior pastor, David Hall. Uh, he sends his greetings and um, love to the church this morning as well. And I just wanted to say a massive thank you to um, Pastor Rob and Pauline uh, for having me here this morning. I don't think you could meet two more generous, kind, loving, caring people in all your life. Um, this church is so blessed to have them as pastors and the incredible Santa Stefano family as well. What a beautiful family. Uh, I love them. I've had so, so much fun um, just staying at their house. Not so much fun staying with the, the big boar and the, the live animals on my room. I've slept with the lights on last night. If you know anything about No, I didn't actually. Pastor Rob has uh, these dead animals on the, in the guest room. And I was like, how am I going to sleep tonight? Like, I'm a city girl. I haven't seen a dead animal, I don't think, ever in my life, unless it's like a rabbit on the, on the road. And meanwhile, I've got three big, fat, dead animals on, on my wall. Um, so, no, it was just awesome. And I've, I've loved um, just getting to know this family. They're such a beautiful family. And what a beautiful place Port Lincoln is. Amazing. Amazing. I really believe that God wants to do something incredible uh, through the church in Port Lincoln. I believe that God has great plans for Port Lincoln and um, that the best days of this church are ahead of her. Uh, amen. 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 Awesome. So I wanted to bring a word this morning from the book of Mark chapter 2 uh, and verse 1. If we could turn there together, that would be fantastic. The book of Mark chapter 2. Verse 1 says this, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole in the roof, uh, through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my, son, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I'll prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and worked on through, uh, and walked on through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, "We have never seen anything like this before." Awesome. Let's bow our heads and pray. 
Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it is living and it is active, God. I thank you for the opportunity to speak in this incredible church, God. And I pray this morning as I preach, I pray that it wouldn't just be my words and my opinions that are spoken, but God, I pray that you would speak directly from heaven through me, God. I pray that I would be your mouthpiece, God, and I pray that you would speak directly to every heart. I pray that you would speak to every person, God, your personal message to them this morning. God, we give you all the glory and all the praise for what you're going to do in this place. In Jesus' name name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. So what's happening in this story? Uh, a lot of us have heard this story before, but just for those of us who might not have heard the story before, Jesus is in this house and he's there and his fame has sort of spread all over the land. Everybody knows that he heals people. Everybody knows that he preaches uh, the word of God and the truth of God. And so people are going to him to get their miracles and every the word gets out that he's within this house he's located within this house and so within in a a short period of time that house gets jam-packed full of people the house is jam-packed full of people and it says that these four men came with their friend who was paralyzed and he was on a mat and they bring this paralyzed friend carrying him on the mat the bible says they couldn't get in through the door so they dug a hole through the roof to get their friend to jesus and i want to preach a message Based on that very verse, I can't, so I'll dig. I can't, so I'll dig. These, these young people, they were carrying their friend on a mat and they couldn't get into the presence of Jesus. They couldn't get into the place where Jesus' power was, where his miracle was. They couldn't get into that place where the breakthrough was. And because they couldn't get in through the door, they said, it doesn't matter, we're going to dig a hole through the roof. I want to talk to us this morning about digging holes and digging ditches in our lives, not necessarily through roofs or through different things. I, I know Pastor Robin, Pauline, would be a bit angry if I just all of a sudden dug a hole through the roof of the, the place where I'm staying. We're not talking about digging physical, physical holes through physical roofs. I want to talk this morning about digging holes in our relationship with God, digging ditches in our lives, digging wells in our lives so that God can come and he can fill us with his presence, fill us with his anointing, fill us with his power. Every single one of us faces challenges. We face things that limit us just like these guys had this limitation. And I believe that it's so easy for us to get to those limits and say, hey, you know what? I can't get to that place of breakthrough. I can't get to that place where the power of God is revealed in this situation. So I may as well just go home. And, and we live with these, with these mats in our lives of paralyzed situations where we just haven't seen the breakthrough. I believe that God's saying, no, when you get to that place of limitation, when you get to that place where you just can't push through and you just can't see the miracle, I want you to be a person who digs. I want you to be a person who digs in prayer, digs in worship digs into the anointing of God. And so I want to talk about touching God this morning. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 10 says this, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Even the strongest of the strong need to seek the Lord. I know throughout the New Testament we see Jesus uh, going to solitary places throughout his ministry to pray and to seek the Father. And you know, the Bible says that Jesus was fully God, but it also says that he was fully man. And in his humanity, he all, 
although he had all the power that God had and he had all the knowledge that God had, he had limited himself to his humanity. He had limited himself to the human extremities of of his humanity. And so when Jesus went to those solitary places to pray, he was literally letting his humanity and the limits of his humanity touch the limitless possibilities of his Father in heaven. He was going to get refreshed. He was going to seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit because he knew that even as God, he had set himself to the limitations of humanity so his humanity needed to touch God and receive the anointing and the refreshing that can only come from the Father. I want to ask this morning if Jesus in his humanity needed to touch the Father in heaven daily and needed to go to that solitary place to receive the anointing and receive the refreshing and the empowering of the Spirit of God, how much do we with all our human limitations and all our challenges that we face need to go into the presence of God daily and receive the anointing and the refreshing that can come from our Father? I want to talk this morning about the power of submitting our limitations to a limitless God from living fully dependent on him and the power of his spirit and the strength that comes from seeking his presence. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 30 to 31 says, Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary, and they shall walk, and they shall not faint. To wait upon in this verse means to look eagerly for, to tarry or to seek expectantly. I want to talk this morning about seeking the presence of God expectantly. William Wilberforce, the great abolitionist you may have heard of, he said this, I must secure more time for private devotions. I have been living far too public for me. The shortening of private devotions starves the soul. The shortening of private devotion starves the soul. I don't know about you, but when I heard that quote, I thought that really witnesses with me. The shortening of private devotion starves the soul. Lord Earl Cairns, the Lord Chancellor of England, really powerful man, said this, If I have had any success in life, I attribute it to the habit of giving the first two hours of each day to Bible study and to prayer. A.M. Bounds, another powerful man, said this, The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees, have been early on their knees. There is great power in touching God and letting him come and bring his anointing and his power into our lives. I want to talk this morning about digging ditches and making room for God to move in our lives. And so just to finish up my uh, introduction this morning, I want to camp on this verse and this passage in 2 Kings, uh, chapter 3 and verse 16, if you can turn there with me. 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 16 it says this, And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. Other versions say, And this is no trouble for the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. 
In this passage of Scripture, the children of Israel were in desperate need. They were fighting the Moabites and, and they were at war, but they had found themselves in a place where they no longer had any supply of water. They had no supply of water. They were at war and they felt like they were going to be utterly cut off. They were going to be defeated in this place and they were absolutely desperate for God to come through for them. So they cried out to God and they said, God, we need you to move. God, we need water. We need victory in this circumstance. We need victory in our situation. We've reached the end, that we've reached the limit. We've reached the place where we have no power to go forward. We have no power to do anything else. We're desperate for you. They cried out to God. And what happened when they were in that place, God spoke to them and he said, I want you to dig some ditches. He said, when you start to dig some ditches, I'm going to show you that my refreshing rain will come and will provide for you. Not only will my rain come, not only will I provide for that thirst that you have, but also I'm going to defeat the enemy that is before you. I'm going to give the victory to you and you will see that it is no trouble for the Lord. Church, I believe this morning that as we build ditches spiritually in our lives, as we dig those ditches of prayer and reading the Bible and seeking God in our lives, being God seekers, as we dig those ditches, we are refreshed by the power and the presence of God. We're refreshed by the anointing of God. But not only that, I believe that when we're in that place, God comes and he shows us that the circumstance that is ahead of us that looks impossible and looks desperate and looks dire is no trouble for the Lord. It's no trouble for the Lord. Amen. We can receive that strength that comes from being in his presence and being empowered by him. Now, I don't know about you, but I have no experience in digging physical ditches. I'm not, not a digger. I am a city girl at heart. If you uh, cut me open, I'm sure you'd find a skyscraper in my heart. Um, I, I have nothing to do with, uh, with digging or digging ditches. Or I've, just, I've just never had anything to do with that. Uh, maybe you do. I'm sure you probably do on properties and different things like that. Um, but I've never had any experience with digging ditches. The closest that I've ever got uh, to seeing people dig and do different things like that uh, was at Sovereign Hill. Um, I don't know if you guys know about Sovereign Hill. It looks like some of you do. So I grew up in Geelong, uh, Victoria. I spent a majority of my childhood there. And... Um, Every weekend, so my dad thought it would be a great idea to get an annual pass to Sovereign Hill. I'm like, Dad, no other families get an annual pass to Sovereign Hill. And so we would go to Sovereign Hill literally every weekend. We would make a, tra a trip up to Sovereign Hill uh, and, and we'd go there. And um, if you don't know what Sovereign Hill is, basically it's this, it's this hill at the top of Ballarat. And um, it's an old time town uh, where there's not much electricity, there's uh, not much modern things, there's just everything in the old style. So they've got an old style bowling alley, an old style pub, an old style school, an old style uh, shop and candy shop and different things like that. The old style school, I remember you could go there and you could learn from a teacher and you could get the cane. And I remember being a kid, I'm like... I'm not going to the, I was so scared of going to the school. I'm like, I don't want to get the cane. How dumb do you have to be? Like, so I'd see kids like walking into the school. I'm like, don't do it. It's a trap. It's a trap. Um, and they're going to the school and there was all these different things uh, at Sovereign Hill. We would go there every week. So if you'd like to know more about it, I'm sure I could be a tour guide for you. I'm an expert on Sovereign Hill. But I would see people, I remember just as a, as a kid, I would see people around Ballarat and around Sovereign Hill uh, who were literally digging for gold. And they'd, they'd get their shovels out and they'd dig around Ballarat because uh, if you know anything about um, 
about the, the gold rush and stuff in Victoria. That's uh, a key place where, where gold was found. Uh, and so you can go to uh, Sovereign Hill, you can see people digging around and, and people with their broad-brimmed hats and they're a bit strange, you know, and they're out there and they've got their metal detectors and they're digging for gold. Uh, but also there's this river uh, at Sovereign Hill and there's this river where you can go gold panning and um, I spent many an hour of a Saturday uh, morning gold panning digging for gold. Uh, I think it was a, a trick like my parents just wanted to go off and have a coffee and leave me there with my brother and sister just gold panning for hours because they'd just disappear. Like mum we could have been abducted or anything but it was a different day in the 90s so um, so we're down there <laughs> you know uh, so we're down there and we're panning for gold in the river we're like digging and, and you put your pan into the river and you bring out these, these rocks and you sort of uh, sieve it around and eventually, if you're clever like I was as a child, you can find little specks of gold in, in the river. And I remember my younger brother and sister, they were three and two years uh, younger than me and so they would never find any gold because they were too young, they couldn't do it properly. So I used to find specks of gold and I'd be like, Sophia, Darius, come over here, I found gold. And they're like, no, teach us your ways. You know, they'd be like so impressed that I'd found this gold and, and so I'd be showing them the little specks of gold and I remember taking it to our parents and we'd put it in these little bottles uh, and you'd, you'd take home these two or three specks of gold. And I was like, why aren't my parents more happy with me? Like, I've, like, got them, like, these specks of gold. I have literally revolutionised their world. I've given them some gold. And I was like, Mum and Dad, like, why don't we sell the gold and, like, buy a mansion, you know? And, and they're like, no, you don't understand. Like, that gold, that speck of gold is probably worth, like, $3. Like, fantastic. It's worth $3. That's rubbish. And so after a little while, I stopped panning for gold because I was like, this is, you know, I can put my time to better use and, and get a better job at Sovereign Hill. I didn't do that. Uh, so I, got, I had these little specks of gold that I took home. They weren't really worth that much. Um, it didn't really change our lives that much. You know, it, it was cool to have this little bottled experience. It was cool to be able to look at that gold. But it didn't have a huge impact on my life. In 2012, there was a man um, who went digging just like those people who have the, their metal detectors at Sovereign Hill, probably had his broad-brimmed hat, his jeans and his sneakers on, and he was going around digging for some gold. And he dug in 2012 and struck a nugget uh, worth $500,000 in Ballarat. $500,000. I tell you, when this man dug and he found that nugget, that, that piece of gold had such a large impact on his life. With $500,000, it could totally change his world. He could buy a house debt-free. He could buy, I don't know, a really expensive car if he wanted to invest that way. Probably not the smartest thing to do. But he could. it would significantly change his life, significantly have an impact on his world, more than just my specks of gold would have. Church, this morning I want to ask us, is our Christian experience more like panning for gold or is it like digging ditches for gold? Because I believe that sometimes as Christians we can get used to coming week after week to church and it's just like coming to the river and panning for a few specks of gold and, and praising God in the worship and we're like, just one touch. Sorry, I don't have a great singing voice. I'm a saxophone player, so don't judge me, all right? So just one touch, every burden fell off my shoulders. And we can have a great experience with God and we can, you know, we can be touched in this place and we can come to the river, uh, but we can go home and, and sort of forget about God and forget about 
the things of God and not touch our Bibles and not pray and not seek God throughout the week. And it's just like we have this little bottled experience that doesn't actually make a difference in our daily lives. It doesn't actually change anything about our daily lives. I, I believe that if we can be people who are used to digging ditches and say, no, on Monday morning, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to spend time in the throne room of God. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit come and empower me, come and fill me, come and touch me, come and give me his anointing to do what he's called me to do out in the, the workplace on Monday morning or with my family or wherever he's called you to minister. I believe that if we can be people who dig ditches like, like that man who struck gold, we can totally be changed by what we find. We can totally be changed and, and our whole lives can be impacted through what God does with what we dig up in his word and in his, in his presence. I believe that we need to be people who when we face challenges, we say, hey, I can't, so I'll dig. I can't, so I'll dig. I might not be able to fix this problem, but I'm going to dig. I'm going to get into the presence of God. I'm going to get into prayer. I'm going to get into the word and worship. And I can't because I can't do anything else in my own strength. You know, I've got a brother who, he's, he's a Christian, but he's sort of away from the Lord. And I remember even just this week, I thought, I can't do anything to change this situation. I can't do anything, so I'm going to dig. And I started praying for my brother. I started speaking the word of God over my brother. Maybe you have children who are out of the, outside of the kingdom of God. Maybe you have family members who don't know Jesus or people at, at school who don't know Jesus, I encourage you, if you can't do anything more to reach out to them, if you're not seeing a breakthrough, why don't you dig in the presence of God to see a change? Amen. 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 Awesome. We need to be people who say, I can't, so I'll dig. I can't, so I'll dig. We see two different accounts of people in the New Testament uh, who touched God. The first one uh, that I want to look at is a lady who touched God for herself. And the second one is an account that I read before with the three, uh, the four men who, who um, carried their paralyzed friend on a mat and touched God on behalf of someone else. And so I want to talk this morning about touching God for ourselves and also about touching God for somebody else. I want to look this morning uh, firstly at Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. Mark chapter 5 and verse 25. We're looking at a woman who touched God. It says this, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his, to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. This woman was in a place where she was at the end of her rope. She had no place else to go. She was limited in her ability to see breakthrough in her life. She'd gone to every doctor. She'd tried every option. And instead of getting better, she'd, uh, she'd actually grown 
worse. She hadn't gotten any better after all of these years, 12 years of suffering. She'd actually gotten worse. She had nothing left, nowhere else to go. And when she was in this place where she had nothing left, in this place where she had nowhere else to turn, she said to herself, I'm going to touch heaven. I'm going to touch Jesus because I know that if I can just touch him, I will receive everything that I need. I want to ask you this morning, when you have nowhere else to turn, where you have nowhere else to go, when you've got nothing left, what are we doing? What are, where are we going? What are we seeking? Are we people who say, I am going to touch Jesus because I know that if I can just touch Jesus in the midst of my circumstance, if I can just touch Jesus in the midst of my situation, I know that I will receive everything that I have need of. Where do you go when you have nothing left? This woman the Bible says she came up behind Jesus. She came up behind Jesus and she touched the hem of his garment. She came up behind him. That tells me that in the midst of this circumstance, in the midst of her situation, she couldn't see the face of Jesus. She couldn't see the face of God in the midst of her suffering. She couldn't see his face. But she said, it doesn't matter if I can't see his face. I'm going to move myself towards him because I know that even if I can't see what he's doing in this situation, even if I can't see his face, even if it seems unclear to me, if I just move towards him, I know that I can be healed. I want to encourage you this morning, maybe you're going through a circumstance where you're saying, I just can't see Jesus in the midst of this. I don't know what God is doing in the midst of this. It looks like I can't see the face of God. It looks like I can't see what Jesus is doing here. I can't see how God is moving here. I encourage you, be a person who says, even when I can't see his face, I'm going to move towards him because I know as I move towards him, I'm going to touch him. And I know that as I touch him, I will receive everything that I need. You know, teenagers do things uh, without fully understanding the outcome of their actions. If you have teenagers yourself or have had teenagers yourself, I'm sure you understand that. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for seven years and I can tell you I definitely understand that. I've had many a meeting in my senior pastor's office trying to explain why the fire brigade were at youth on Friday night or why there's a hole in the foyer when someone smashed a chair through, through the wall or why one of the cameras has fallen off the tripod and smashed or, you know, uh, I've had many a time where I've had to explain on behalf of young people who have done things stupidly without understanding the consequences of their actions. I remember as a teenager doing something uh, where I didn't understand the, the outcome or the consequences of my actions. I, um, I've never been a hairdresser. I'm not a hairdresser now. Um, I, I was about 13 years old and I wasn't a hairdresser then either. Uh, but I decided one day when I was about 13 years old, I was like, oh, I want a fringe. I didn't have a fringe at the time. You know, I'm sure a few ladies, I've got some witnesses there going, yeah, I've done that as well. So I was like, oh, I, I want a fringe. I need a fringe. And I thought, I'm not a hairdresser, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to cut my hair. So it's like, cool. Um, all right. So let's get some scissors. And so I got some scissors and I just started cutting my fringe and looking in the mirror and I'm not very artistic, like I've always been musical, but not artistic. And so I started cutting it. I'm like, mm, it's not very straight and it's a bit short. Uh, I don't really like it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get rid of it. So, so instead, I was like, I'm just gonna cut off my fringe that I've just cut. Had no idea, 13 years old, going into high school in Victoria, you know, early years of high school, I had no idea that a few months later I would be left with spikes coming out of the center of my head. These spikes, that's not good for your social cred as a 13-year-old, <laughs> yeah. 
So I had these spikes. I didn't understand the outcome of my actions. I didn't understand what would happen when I cut my hair so short and I just decided to cut my fringe off. You know, sometimes, sometimes we don't understand. Sorry, I need to grab a drink. It's always awkward when you're grabbing a drink in front of a church because nobody's talking and everyone's just watching you drink. Mm. Good drinking, thank you. <laughs> Nine out of ten, do you reckon? Eight, eight and a half, okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, we, teenagers don't understand the outcome of their actions. I definitely didn't. Sometimes when we're touching God, maybe we won't fully know or fully understand the outcome of that that's going to have in our lives. Maybe we're like, I don't know how God's going to move in my circumstance. I don't know how God's going to move in that situation. I don't know what he's going to do. But I know that if I touch him, I know that there is going to be an outcome. I know that God is going to move. I know that he is going to change something. I know that he is going to touch me. He's going to bring me strength. And so I encourage you, even if you don't know what the outcome is going to be, why don't you press into God and touch him, knowing that he will do something, something will change, and he will bring you strength. The Bible says that this woman said to herself, said to herself, the Greek word, uh, when you expound that and you unpack that, the Greek word uh, literally can be translated, she kept on saying to herself, or she purposed within herself, she kept on saying, she said of this situation, she said to herself, she said of her situation, if I can just touch Jesus, I know that I'll see the breakthrough. If I can just touch him, I know that change will come. This tells me that she said to herself, this tells me that faith has a voice. Faith speaks. Faith speaks out about a situation. I want to ask you this morning, what statement is framing the situation that you're facing? What statement is framing and, and shaping the challenge that you might have found yourself at when you're on the edge of that limitation, like I was talking about before, when you come to that end where you're like, I don't know where else to turn. I don't know where else to go. When you come to that place, what statement is shaping the way that you look at that situation? What statement is shaping it? Is it a statement of regret, a statement of shame, a statement of disappointment? Is it a statement of doubt saying, God, I don't know how we're going to do this? Is this a statement of logic saying two plus two equals four, so I don't know, God, how you're going to give me a hundred in here, but I believe I want a hundred, but I don't know. Is it a statement of logic? Is it a statement of doubt? Is it a statement of pain? We need to be people who continually, like this woman with the issue of blood, continually say to ourselves, no, my faith has a voice. I'm going to frame this situation with a statement of faith saying, Jesus, if I can just touch you, I know that your will and your purpose will come to pass in this situation. C.S. Lewis said this, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. John R. Rice says this, faith makes cash of God's checks. Faith makes cash of God's checks. I love that, hey. All right, let's turn back to uh, Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at, uh, we've just looked at touching God on uh, for yourself, touching God for your situation. I want to turn our attention now uh, to touching God on behalf of someone else, seeking God on behalf of a breakthrough for someone else. Mark chapter 2, uh, we read it. It says, The four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because, the crowd, because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. 
They carried a mat and they dug a hole, not for themselves. They didn't personally need a breakthrough, but their friend needed a breakthrough. Their friend needed to get to Jesus. I believe that just like my brother or different people in my life, I believe that there's people in your life who are waiting on a miracle from God who might need you to touch God on their behalf, who might need you to pray on their behalf, who might need you to to seek God and to speak faith over their situation on their behalf to see a miracle in their lives. And I ask you this morning, whose mat are you carrying? Whose mat are you carrying in prayer? Whose mat are you carrying when you speak the word of God over circumstances and situations? These men carried this man and they dug together. I believe that as we dig together, as we come together uh, on Sunday as a church and as we come together in Bible studies, in prayer meetings, I remember um, Pastor Josh yesterday was telling me about a men's prayer meeting that happens here um, at the church and he said to me, well, I don't know, like if we hadn't had those prayer meetings, I don't know where our church would be today because everything that we've prayed for, it's like we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle happen. Um, I believe that that's carrying mats into the presence of Jesus on behalf of other people on behalf of other circumstances. As we dig together, there's a collective faith in the atmosphere that is built to see God do powerful things. Um, I want to finish up uh, just with this with this uh, passage of Scripture in Psalm chapter 84 and verse 1 to 7 as um, our keyboard player Beth could come. Thank you, Beth. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 84. Verse 1, it says this, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. You know, this passage is talking about touching God in worship and touching God, going to that place where you receive your strength from the Lord. And I love this verse in verse 6 where it says, When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. I believe that this, this verse is telling us that even when someone who is a person of God, a man or woman of God who digs ditches, even when they go through a hard time, a tough valley, even when they walk through a valley of sorrows where they're going through a challenge or going through a circumstance where they can't see an answer, where they can't see uh, uh, God breaking through in that place, even when they go through that valley, as they walk through that valley, that person will see that valley become a place of refreshing. It will become a place where the strength of God enters into that person. It will become a place of great blessing and great provision for that person. Why? Because when you're a person who touches God, no valley on the outside of you can compare with the ditch that you've dug in the presence of God to bring the strength and the power and the anointing and the presence of God for breakthrough 
in your life. It will become a place of refreshing. It will become a place of blessing. You will continue to grow stronger in the presence of God. I'd love if we can just close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. As we wrap up this message this morning, I just wanted to take a moment for any person in this room this morning who hasn't given their life to Jesus, who hasn't made Jesus their personal Lord and Saviour in this place. Or maybe any person in this place who maybe once you did know God and you were in that place where you knew what it was to be refreshed by His presence, to come into that that place of refreshing and receive a touch from heaven and, and you were just in this great place. But somewhere along the way of your journey with God, you just got caught up in the wrong thing, got caught up on the wrong path and you found yourself at a distance from God. Maybe you're in this place this morning saying, Layla, I, I want to come back to that place of connection with God. I want to come back to that place of restored relationship with my Father in heaven. Maybe you're in this place and you've never heard the gospel before. I just want to spend a moment talking to you this morning. The gospel basically says that there's no perfect person on earth. I don't know about you, but I know that I'm definitely not perfect. I know that I have messed up. I know that I've done the wrong thing time and time again. I know that I'm not perfect. And I'm sure if you were to search your heart this morning, you'd say, Layla, I know that I'm not perfect too. Do you know what? This morning, God isn't looking for perfect people. You know, sometimes we think that before we walk into church, we have to be perfect. I want to tell you, no, you're in the right place this morning. If you find yourself in this place and you say, I'm not perfect, you're in the right place because none of us are. But Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, he was the only perfect person to ever walk the face of this earth. And he died a perfect life and made a perfect sacrifice so that all of us imperfect people, if we just accepted the free gift of eternal life and salvation and the perfect sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us, we could exchange his perfect life for our imperfect life and see his grace and his blessing of salvation and that connection with the Father in heaven heaven be restored in our lives. If you're in this place this morning and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, you've never made Jesus the Lord and Saviour of your life, or maybe you have, you've walked away from Him and you want to come back to Him this morning, then in just a moment, I want to give you the opportunity while nobody is looking around, all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed, I want to give you the opportunity to just slip up your hand and say, Layla, I want to invite Jesus into my life this morning. I want to come back to Jesus this morning. I want to restore that relationship with Him this morning. And I'm just going to pray for you. If you're in this place this morning and you say, Layla, I want to pray that prayer. I want to come back to Jesus this morning. I don't know if I was to die tonight, whether I'd go to heaven or go to hell. I want my eternity secured with God. I want a relationship with God this morning. Then on the count of three, I want you to just lift up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Everybody's respecting people's privacy. On the count of three, I just want you to lift up your hand if that's you. One, two, three. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic best decision you could ever make. Awesome. I see that hand. I see that hand. Four people responding, five people responding to the gospel this morning. Anybody else in this place who says, I want to come back to Jesus or I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life this morning. Five people in this place this morning. Anybody else want to join them? Awesome. Awesome. It's the best decision you'll ever make. I want us all just to stand to our feet this morning and we're going to pray, pray this prayer together. 
If you lifted up your hand, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart. And and I'd love you to come and chat with us um, after the service. We'd love to get you a Bible and get you a New Christians book and and help you get started on that journey with Jesus. Uh, It's actually the best life that you could ever live. I'm so excited about the journey that you're about to embark on. Church, why don't we give these people a hand for lifting up their hands? This is the most exciting thing, the best decision you can ever make in your life. Why don't we lift up our hands to Jesus as we pray together? Church, would you repeat this prayer after me so that we can we can join with every single person who put up their hand and said, Jesus, I want to come back to you or I want to invite you into my heart this morning. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to wash away my past and to give me a new life in you. Jesus, this morning, I make you the Lord and Saviour of my life. Jesus, this morning, I choose to follow you. This morning, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and to set me free from those things that have separated me from you. Father, I thank you for the restored relationship that I have with you from this moment on. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Why don't we give those five awesome people a massive hand this morning? Fantastic. Fantastic. And honestly, if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I'd love to chat with you after the service. I know Pastor Rob and Pastor Pauline and and Pastor Josh, they'd love to chat with you as well and just help you on your journey uh, as well. And um, I'm just so proud of of the decision that you've made this morning. I can't tell you, it's such an honour to to lead you in that prayer. And I would love to to just say hello to you and and just encourage you on your journey this morning as well. I'm just going to hand it over to the band. They'll lead us in a final worship song and then I'll hand back over the team to see... Uh, what they want to do there. Thank you for having me.